What is good, people? Welcome to the Holy City Hoops podcast. What a weekend for the Kooks, huh? Thursday night, they break the Kaplan curse. Saturday afternoon, they win a game at Elon. They had absolutely no business winning. They rip off a victory thanks to an incredible game from Nick Farrar, who hits the game winner to give himself a career high in points. We've got an absolutely loaded show for you today. Our pal Martin Trojanowski makes his season debut on the podcast, and you're going to hear it. We sound like two giddy little teenagers. We are just still on cloud nine after that Elon game. We're going to bounce around a couple different topics today. Obviously, got to talk about Nick, but we have to give special attention to Raekwon Horton as well, who had an incredible weekend. The true freshman was everywhere, making clutch plays and just continuing to develop before our eyes. The William & Mary game, that was a complete team effort, dominant victory. And then the Elon game, it looked like the Cougars had no chance of winning this, and they turned it around late just when they needed to. Two very different games, but both satisfying victories in their own right. And what does this all mean? Where does Charleston rank in the CAA pecking order now? This is going to be a fun episode, usually is when your team's on a three-game winning streak. Make sure you subscribe to the pod on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you prefer to listen. Make sure you follow at Holy City Hoops on Twitter and Instagram. Let's get into today's show. All right, we welcome back to the show the doctor himself, Martin Trojanowski. How are you feeling, man? Are you hyped as I am? Yeah, it feels great. Like I I just uh, said to you earlier, it's so nice to be on the other side of these games. Um, and the Pat Kelsey era where we're a monster rebounding team and we can just sit there and take the body blows. You know, we were, we were just talking about this. Normally I like to go chronologically and we would have gone William and Mary first and then Elon. I think we, I think it's okay to be prisoners of the moment. Let's get right into the Nick Farrar game and this Elon contest, because like you said, Charleston had no business winning this game at all. Like This was a complete highway robbery at Elon. Charleston leads for a grand total of 29 seconds total in the entire game, but they come away with a dub. They were completely punched in the mouth the entire first half and large portions of the second half as well. Nick Farrar plays hero. What's going through your mind first thing? I mean, it's it's just a testament to how this team is built uh, that they can shake off an awful game. Uh, Jeff Hartzell tweeted something that I was thinking, your top three guys, Tucker, Smith, and Meeks, your best players, your your most dependable players on offense go two for 26 and you win. I'll do you one better. The top four scores went five for 30 with 10 turnovers. (laughs) Like Meeks, Smith, Tucker, and you had Underwood to the mix. It's just as ugly, if not worse. Yeah. We're, we're, We're actually not that great of a shooting team we just generally get ourselves good shots a lot of our shots are just putbacks because of our rebounding efforts we it's a lot of two foot bunnies and then usually relatively decent looks from three just what they just a lot of stuff wasn't falling tonight nothing was falling charleston was down as much as 10 down 10 with eight minutes to play down eight with five minutes to go and really it was nick farrar and raekwon horton down the stretch um let's focus on nick for a little bit here career high game high team high 23 points for him nine for 15 from the field five for five from the line four rebounds zero turnovers and it was a lot like the previous quote-unquote Nick Farrar game which was that Hofstra game where Charleston 
offensively did nothing, and then Nick Ferrar hopped off the bench and just started cooking. Same thing in this game. Nothing going against a very smothering, very fast Elon defense. Nick Ferrar hops off the bench. I think he scores like five quick ones. And down the stretch, he was just like, I have the ball. I am going to shoot. I don't care if I'm on the baseline and my heels are on the three-point line. I'm going to shoot, and this rainbow shot is going to go in every time. I think you mentioned on the CFC fans board that you expect Nick to just slide into John Meek's role next season, right? Hopefully, if he doesn't get uh, any kind of transfer offers. Uh, I mean, for those people that are into basketball advanced stats, I mean, Nick's stats are nuts. There's a NBA rating called the PER, the player efficiency rating. If you if you um, just look at conference numbers, because he didn't play too much in the out-of-conference, his player efficiency rating in conference is 27.2, by far the best guy on the team. Um, and uh, his he has always shown offensively in short minutes to be able to be really efficient. He's got incredible touch. Yeah. Uh, you know, he can pass. Uh, the shot is a little strange, unconventional, but it, it goes in. And he's a terrific free throw shooter. He's a he's one of the best free throw shooters on the team. Um, so he's such a skilled big man. I do think, you know, some have pointed out probably fitness has been an issue for him early in the season. You know, we have many people on the on your pod have messaged how lots of guys how, how about his incredible weight loss over the over the offseason. And it's hard to lose that much weight and not lose a little muscle mass. It's, it's just, it's just nature. He's, he was burning a lot of calories, but he probably, you know, has to kind of recalibrate his body. And, and I'm hoping that he's just not getting upset on the bench. He's, he's okay with building his fitness up now. Speaking of muscle mass, how about the rip away for the dunk when he tore the offensive rebound away from the Phoenix and dunked it himself. And that's not the highlight of the game for him because he hits the game winner a few minutes later. Yeah, no, he's he's terrific. He's a, I, a little bit early on in the season. He did have some problems with fouls. He would come in and, and get a lot of fouls in a really short period of time. And he's really cleaned that up. He's he's doing stuff clean. And I didn't think we were getting calls last night. Um, it was one of those typical CA road games where I felt that some of those charges didn't go our way, like the one late against mm-hmm. Meeks. Um, but you know he's been doing it clean, so it's you can't you can't argue with that. Yeah, he's just been coming along, and I thought Pat Kelsey had a great quote in his post game where he his nickname for Ferrar is Notebook Nick because Nick comes to every film session, every practice with his little notebook, and he's jotting down notes the entire time, and that's kind of led to his development and him getting a little sharper and getting more more playing time. So you just you feel so good for Nick to finally have a, a big time game like this where he really just swung Charleston's fortunes. He played. Back in his home state of North Carolina, I know he had a ton of family and friends there. So just really, really happy for Nick. But the other guy down the stretch who I thought was huge was Raekwon Horton. And it seems like every podcast we carve out a little Raekwon Horton corner just to to talk about him. He hits the big and one with a few minutes left, I think with 4.30 to play. That makes it 56-51. And then he hits a big time three off a really good Brandon Tucker offensive rebound to make it 60 to 58 with two minutes to go. And then Ferrar scores six of Charleston's final eight points. Uh, what do you think of Horton in this game and his development as a whole? I've been really excited with Raekwon's development. Uh, he 
has that combination of length and quickness that not we don't necessarily have a ton of on this team. So he's a bit of a unicorn for us. But it was the offensive game. He we was so anxious, I think, in the first half of the season that he was just kind of a black hole offensively. But it's it's so nice to see him get some confidence. I know you've had we've had other people mention the word kind of an often used thing of the game's kind of slowing down for him. And I think that's so clear that um, that he is finding his confidence and he's just letting the game come to him instead of being so nervous offensively. And now that he brings the offense too, you can see his minutes have shot up. Um, Raekwon's, Raekwon played 26 minutes last night, which I think was one of his a season high for him. Yeah. Uh, and he can guard those long – CAA has a lot of these – six four six five guards that can shoot can dribble can do about everything like hunter mcintosh and raekwon's one of the few guys on our team that can probably slide right in and defend one of those guys yeah no he's a big guard he looks big on the court and he puts that big body of his to use offensively i mean he gets so many offensive rebounds he finishes and ones in the william and mary game he had a nice drive where he just like turned the corner on a defender and finished through contact yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to bring up that William and Mary play too early, but that was a great play. That was like you could you could see him beam on the on the broadcast after yeah. he hit. He kind of faked the pass to the corner and then took it in on the right side of the basket. And he was like, "Yep, I got this." Yeah. <laughs> and I think he turned around and hit a three later. Uh, it's it was just a, it's a joy to watch the kid get better. And in general, the the player growth uh, done by this coaching staff is terrific. Like all the guys are growing. And OC is having his. OC is a developed big. I mean, there are games where OC is not um, kind of a matchup. It's not a good matchup for him, so he doesn't get a lot of minutes. But seeing OC catch it cleanly and yeah. finish around the basket, like we've been waiting for four, I mean, four years for him to do that. And it's so nice to see him develop into a guy that's probably going to play pro ball somewhere. Yeah. Raekwon and Nick get a, a ton of the attention, but – you're right. All the player development has been really good. Even Chuck Lampton has had some really good games late where he's cut down on his fouls. He's blocking shots. Yeah. He's scoring around the rim as well. And obviously Brendan Tucker is the other one. Uh, I mean, EJ mentioned a lot. He sent, he spent a lot of time talking about Tuck's personal development. So we don't necessarily have to talk about Tucker, but he is, he's thriving in this system. He's become so much more consistent. And uh, he can be a, next year for us. He can be one of the cornerstones that we build around. You know, I I liked his game against William and Mary. He did not score, but he had eight rebounds, and a lot of those came on the offensive end. And I think, you know, the blueprint for players like Brendan Tucker hop off the bench, score buckets by any means possible, be that offensive spark plug, and he kind of bucked that trend and really played a, a gritty game. Um, I mentioned the offensive rebound that led to that Horton three that really made this a one possession game late, but it was just really nice to see him not, you know, hurt the team in any way by trying to force shots. He just played a different role and he used his athleticism on the defensive end and on the offensive rebounding end and got the team a win. On the, on a bit on the downside, I got to talk about rain. I've never seen a shooter go so hot and cold. I actually... <laughs> Yeah, I actually went back and looked at Drew Gadlock's numbers as a freshman. I was like, does this just happen with all freshmen? And he did. He he would not have these 
you know, 0 for 7, 0 for 8 type games. And I, and I wonder if it's, if it's mental with rain that if like the first couple don't go in, he starts to, he starts to get a little tight. I mean, his last three throw three miss was a, was a pretty bad one. He like missed the rim altogether and he took kind of a low percentage shot, but I wonder how they can kind of fix rain to try to get him not so streaky with his shot. He's super streaky. I think if Charleston loses this game, you're definitely looking at rain as a as a major part of that. Yeah, I think I, I think there is something to what you're saying. When he misses a, a few shots early, it's almost like he tightens up his shot a little bit and just doesn't follow through as much, or he gets it up maybe a little bit faster, or it's a little bit more of a push shot versus like a clean form. Yeah, I mean he was he was ice cold and he was turning the ball over. Not a good game for rain at all, but really not a game a good game for anyone. And I thought Elon's defense was really, really good. I mean, like I said, this was a robbery on Charleston's part, but Elon played really, really well. And I think if we match up with Elon in the CAA tournament, they have to feel pretty good about their chances after the way they charged back uh, in the game at TD Arena. And then in this game, you know, had it in hand for, for large portions of the game. I mean, they were running guys off the line. Meeks couldn't get anything going. Tuck was held scoreless. Underwood was in foul trouble. And it seemed like every time Charleston made a little bit of a run, Elon had a had a big response. And I, I tweeted this out. A typical possession would be like, Charleston misses a shot, gets their offensive rebound, misses another shot, gets an offensive rebound, misses a third shot, doesn't get the rebound. Elon comes back, hits a late shot clock three. Like, that just seemed to be the story of the game. Elon kept the lead at five or seven points this whole time, and then... With five minutes to go, I'm like, does Charleston have one more run? Can they take like one more chop at this tree and and just get over the hump by a point or two? And sure enough, that's what they did. They got the stops they needed down the stretch. I thought Elon took some bad shots late. Maybe it was Hunter Woods who took like a mid-range baseline shot with a few seconds left to play, which was probably not advisable. And then Meeks hit some free throws and Nick closed it out. But um, I thought Elon played very, very well. Yeah, they, they definitely had that. They would, McIntosh was dialed in late with the three pointers. They would hit these dagger threes uh, when, after late in the shot clock. And, and that usually spells the end, but we, the guys never gave up. And it was, it was critical. Yeah. Like you said, it is good to be on the other end of this because we know that Charleston has had so many one possession games not go their way and they have had so many games late where they just couldn't get it done whether it was the delaware game or the hofstra game or most painfully that Furman game so just good to be on the other end of this elon sucks to be you i know the feeling you're going through but it's pure elation to be on the other side of that especially you know almost a game winner almost a buzzer beater i should say and and frankly the other it's like uh being on the other side of it kind of year to year because we saw late in Earl's tenure here as the head coach where you would have games where in TD arena, TD's rocking, everybody's hitting their threes, tuck and uh, all the other guys are doing well. And they, we win by 20 against the upper half team in the CAA and then turn around a day, two days later and they shoot 20% and we get rolled by the, the bottom half of the league. Cause once the shot doesn't go down, we're just not winning the game. And here you, you have that rebounding and also you have this developed depth that if the top guy isn't working, you can bring a Ferrar in and he can give you 
that he can carry the team. It's just so nice to have depth and rebounding. There were some ugly shooting numbers in this one. Charleston finishes the game shooting 38% from the field, 13% from three. They were three for 23. Six assists to 16 turnovers. So the ball movement we had seen in the Northeastern William and Mary games did not carry over to Elon. Six assists is just not very good, but a lot of that I'm sure is just Nick Farrar who was in, you know, torch everybody mode. That's maybe the hottest I've seen a player in a Charleston uniform since that Brennan Tucker 35-point game last year. That last baseline, too, was a really low percentage shot. He was defended really well, fading away, long two on the baseline. Nailed it. I, I wish I could have seen the, like, win percentage chart, you know, like those Ken Palm, like, spiking up and down, like EKG machine type things when Nick Farrar got the ball stripped away from him for a dribble on that last possession. Because, sure. yeah. I was hoping they would find Nick. Pat Kelsey said after the game that that was always the plan, but Nick caught it way too far out than they anticipated. But that rainbow arc on the shot really saved him because he got it off and nothing but net. But yeah, some ugly numbers from CFC. But on the positive end, they did turn Elon over 20 times. Elon got in foul trouble early which really carried over to the second half. I mean, Michael Graham fouling out was pretty advantageous for for Charleston. Cougars hit their free throws. They went 19 for 22 from the line. They were held a 15 to 2 advantage in second chance points. That's that offensive rebounding. And Raekwon and Nick lead this uh, 36 to 15 advantage in bench points. Uh, Any other numbers stand out to you? Yeah, I think I looked at it. It was Guys not named Meeks, Smith, or Tucker shot 20 of 32. Wow. Michael Graham's a player now. That kid's a sophomore. He adds a little bit of weight. He's got great touch around the basket. He's got good, he's got good lateral movement. He's a he's gonna be a baller for Elon in a couple of years. He's good. He's good. Well, I I never thought that on a weekend where Charleston breaks the Kaplan curse that that would not be the headline story of this week's episode but let's get into that one finally mercifully the Cougars get a win in Williamsburg 0 for 7 in their history before this game and the the Kaplan curse was looking like it was going to maintain itself I mean this past summer it seemed like this was finally going to be the year William and Mary is the unanimous worst team in the league going into this season and then Charleston, the last couple of weeks, had been pretty shaky, had not gotten a road win on the CAA yet. So you're thinking, oh my gosh, like, especially with how tight that first game was, that maybe the curse is going to continue and then we'll be right back where we've always been. But wire to wire victory for Charleston. They never trailed in this one. And you know what my favorite stat of the night is? The Cougars led by 23 with five minutes to play. They won the game by 23 points. No late collapse whatsoever. Even when William and Mary tried to charge back, Brendan Tucker really buried them. Yeah, I mean, this was your, I mean, the guys looked so dialed in from the get-go. We had a little bit of extra prep because he didn't have that double week. So he had four days of prep for this game. And uh, you could tell they were ready. William and Mary doesn't have a lot of athleticism on their team. They're kind of long like we are. So they aren't, they aren't going to... Uh, slices up with their guard play like we've run into problems with other teams, especially, uh, you know, Rain. People are really attacking Rain. Uh, they want to get him in foul trouble. They want him to burn energy defensively so he doesn't shoot well. But William and Mary doesn't have all that. They have, you know, some skilled guys. A like Kashara guy can 
finish around the basket. He's good. He's long. But uh, you really saw the front runners of this. The starters just took care of business in this game. They really did. And it's almost like this William & Mary game was very similar to the Northeastern game that came before it where everything's clicking, the ball's popping, the offense looks unstoppable, and I'm really happy Charleston could come out with a win. The Elon game, nothing was working, and I'm almost more happy that Charleston found a way to win that game. But... um, yeah, really just another, like the Northeastern game, very satisfying win for the Cougars, especially on the road. This was Pat Kelsey's first CAA road win. Uh, he picked up two this weekend, which is great. Rain really started this one, and Brendan Tucker finished it. Rain Smith has 14, leads five Cougars in double figures. A lot of these were the starters, uh, but Brendan Tucker has a game-high 21 points, uh, his fourth game in double figures, and then he, 17 of those were in the second half. Yeah, no, Brendan has a another kind of weird statistical split. He is an unstoppable scorer in TD Arena, but he put him on the road and he really struggles. He's He's got 25 points percentage better shooter at home than he is on the road. So I was seeing this game like, okay, is this Brendan's game where he kind of can, can get that confidence on the road? Another uh, incredible stat to look at in context of the Elon game is the Elon hero, Nick Farrar, plays five minutes, goes 0 for 3. Minus 2, right? He doesn't score a point and doesn't do anything in only five minutes of play and turns around as a hero on Elon. I mean, that's that just speaks to Charleston's depth. I thought you were going to give me Raekwon Horton's plus minus in the William & Mary game. I don't know if you have it in front of you, but he had a game high plus 28 which is insane. Uh, he played 19 minutes and Charleston was 28 points better with him on the floor. Seven points, three for four from the field, hit a three, four rebounds, a block, one turnover. Again, we, we kind of teased this in the, the Elon recap, but he was dialed in on defense. He's starting to remind me a lot of Cam Johnson with his big guard defensive moves out there. Uh, and he hits a three in this game, but Raekwon Horton, just an absolute joy to watch him out there. Yeah, he's he's definitely growing. He's going to be an integral part of this team's push towards the NCAAs for the for the rest of the year and hopefully for the next couple of years to come. He's he's going to be a great player for us. Love Raekwon Horton's game. Love the way he's developing. I don't think he's going to win freshman of the week, but he was probably Charleston's most important player combining these two games. Uh, like you said, like Rain and Tuck were really good in the William & Mary game. Nick was really good in the elon game but ray was was steady throughout but everybody got it going i mean the cougar shot 57 percent as a team for the game and i think you had mentioned on the board you liked you thought this was their best half court offense yeah like you like you said with the assist numbers they they were really executing the offense the passing was so crisp and taking the extra pass to find the open guy to take the shot especially they got rain some great open looks uh, it was it was really great to see. Was, you could see that the the kids are starting to absorb the system a little bit more. Meeks and Burnham both give you 11 points. Underwood did his thing, scored under the basket. 17 turnovers to 16 assists, so they don't they don't get over the uh, assist to turnover mark, but much better than they had been earlier this season. Dominated the paint 42 to 30. Dominated the glass 40 to 27. Dominated points uh, off the bench 30 to 11. No, it's, it was a great, it was a, it was a great kind of like the type of game where everything goes right. And that's what you needed to break the Kaplan curse. 
needed it, got it. I don't have much to say about William and Mary in this game. I mean, they did not look like they really had too much pep in their step. They were really smothered by Charleston's defense. They never got anything going. No individual player really stood out to me, um, besides maybe Kachera. Again, just a really complete effort. And here's where Charleston stands now. They entered this weekend in eighth place at three and five. Two wins later, they're tied for fifth, and they're a game out of third place, which is pretty crazy to think about, but that just tells you how how tight the CAA is. I mean, we saw Towson lose at Northeastern. Uh, we saw UNCW lose at Elon. Nothing is a given in this league. Do you have any thoughts on where the Cougars stand now? And Yeah, I, I probably, even with a potential loss to even Elon, wasn't terribly worried that we were going to be in the playing game. I thought you know, the kind of slump we hit early on in conference play has going to, has kind of, kind of dissipated away and we've kind of find, found our footing, you know, barring some sort of crazy injuries or anything like that. But I think we can certainly start to climb towards the upper half of the league. Now, granted this next, it's a moment of truth. There's going to be huge four games for us. We play UNC Wilmington at home. UNC Wilmington at Trask, right? We haven't played I'm sorry, yeah, the UNC games on the road, and then we played two critical home games against Drexel, JMU, and Towson. Uh, so it's two teams that have beaten us, and Drexel, which is probably going to be a tough matchup for a Charleston team because they, they really can run their offense well. And then you have the brutal road streak at the end. So we have a really tough finish to the league, and our depth is going to be tested. And then the other thing you have to think about is, at some point in time, Bolin is going to be healthy to play. Like how is he going to figure in uh, in these last couple of weeks? I mean, he's a he's a vet, so he's going to come in hopefully and be able to give you some solid minutes. I'm assuming it's going to be C Chan slash and Dokumov minutes are going to go to Boland to start and see if he can give you ten solid yeah. minutes of a guy who can shoot and kind of do a lot of things. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch over the next couple of weeks as well. Is how does can can you does Coach want to break the chemistry with Boland? coming in or, or is he too worried that it will i would imagine we see dalton on some really limited minutes pk was asked about this after the northeastern game for an update on bolin and he was like he's not even close like i, I according to instagram i think dalton just started lightly jogging this week you're the doctor though i mean broken foot he breaks this early november i think november 11th i want to say with that that lipscomb game 11th or 12th What's what's the typical recovery time on something like that? I mean, his bones should be close to healed. Obviously, they're taking it very slow. The bigger issue is that he he would have lost a lot of uh, athleticism and muscle mass. So the bigger issue for Dalton is not as much the bone itself. It's going to be the fact that he's he probably could not exercise while he was, especially fast twitch muscles, which are uh, you know the ones that you're going to be using on a basketball court. He's got a lot of rehab that he has to do. And that's where I think Coach is alluding to that he's so far away. Yeah, so I think his original timeline was mid-February. Anything the Cougars can get out of him, even if he's just a spot-up shooter, would be pretty helpful. I mean, we saw the ghastly three-point shooting numbers against Elon. But I almost don't want to count on him. But I agree that final stretch is really tough for Charleston. They have some of those postponed games that are going to make for some three games in one week type stretches. They've also used up a lot of their home contests. I think they only have a few home games left to play. And like you mentioned, the really tough, always tough Northeastern road swing to finish the year is a, is a tough one. But 
really essential, though, to get the sweep of both William & Mary and Elon because those are two teams that Charleston was competing with to stay out of that buy spot. For sure. Yeah, my last thought on Bolin is, I mean, it's possible that Bolin just decides to extend his college career by one more year. Not necessarily here. He just he just pulls off a medical redshirt, and I don't know if he's allowed that, but I mean, he would certainly qualify because he really didn't play this year. I've gotten some questions about that, Dalton's potential to redshirt. I didn't see it just because dudes on the Osanachi smart plan, I think he's probably like 24, 25 years old. I didn't see him coming back for another season. Who knows? I, I have not heard any rumblings from the beat writers or staff or anyone about his potential to uh, to redshirt. So anything else you got? No. Like I said, the biggest thing for me, I am so happy to finally see a Charleston team that knows how to rebound the ball. It is it's so refreshing. a decent rebounding team under Earl Grant. Maybe not on the offensive side. No, they're already sprinting back to set up their D after their missed shots under Earl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guards offensive rebounding is wild to see. We never saw that under the, the Earl Grant regime. Well, we had our prompt, our primary point guard is an ex-power forward, so... I'll be it in D3. That helps. That helps. That helps. All right, Martin. I'll let you go, man. Appreciate you jumping on here. And uh, go Cougs. Go Cougs.